Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Uh, well, thanks for coming, and I'm glad that we've got everybody here. I am actually kind of tired and not quite going to be my full effervescent self like I normally am, but I'll try to get moving along. Let's uh, pray because goodness knows I need it. Thanks, Father, for this um, morning and for the, the clear skies, the warmer temperatures, and the opportunity to be together in fellowship uh, with you and with one another as we consider your scriptures and what they have to teach us about parenting. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us alertness this morning as well? And help us to please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, parenting, that's the topic you're here for. Thank you for showing up. I want to encourage you, as you see other parent-aged people to invite them to come to this classroom. I don't want them to rely upon this thing. It's always good for us to be together, to look at one another and encourage each other, and frankly, to challenge one another as well. By the way, that would also include doing what Jessica's doing, bringing the little ones with you. That's perfectly fine, acceptable. In fact, I would even hold him while I teach if it comes to that. I would love that. One of the greatest sounds, I have two favorite sounds in a church. One is the people of God flipping the pages of their Bible. It's one of my favorite sounds in the universe. The second one is little children in the services as well, because they're seeing you worshiping Christ, and they are changed and affected by that. So never hesitate to uh, bring your kids to this class, to the service. We love them. We love having our kids in our, that's how we do church growth, by the way. Literally, we, church, we grow the church little by little with little people. And we teach them that. But so parenting, um, today's an introductory lesson. And I'm going to then after this chart out the rest of the semester. When I agreed to do this, I didn't really agree to do it as a Sunday school class. I was hoping to do it as more of a small group class that we could have some time to talk and, and interact with one another. I also agreed to it before we ended up having two circuit court arguments and a spring court argument in the same three months term of each other. So my, my, my uh, spring is very, very busy. I got home from Orlando this morning, I go to Maine on Tuesday, and I go to Pennsylvania on Wednesday, and then to Louisiana next Sunday. So my life's just a little bit busy and hectic right now, so you'll forgive me if I'm kind of holding things together by the ends of the rope at times, and stumbling over my words as we get through it all. But uh, with all the apologies out of the way, which is a public speaker is never supposed to apologize for doing poorly up front, that, that just makes people tune out immediately, but I've broken all those rules, and I'll blame it on a late night, early morning. Um, let's, get, let's get started on this. The, the, um, the icebreaker, for lack of a better term, because I'm having a difficult time actually getting us into the actual introduction of it all, is I, I was reading, trying to think of a way to get this thing started, and I went through and found this place called BoardPanda.com. You probably found that. It had a list of the 70 of the funniest parenting tips from mom and dad ever. I just thought I'd read all 70 of them. <laughs> no, I just I picked out a couple that I thought were, uh, were helpful to us to kind of think through at least the world's idea of parenting. And these are all based off of tweets. And so here's, here's one. So when your kid comes and asks you for duct tape, it's always a bad thing. <laughs> Train your kids to kill spiders so they can be the ones to do it. I have a hunch that Bailey has done that already with her kids. <laughs> here's another one. No good ever comes from a toddler sitting naked on the couch. Here's another one. Have two kids so you, you can keep your lazy butt in the car and say, go get your brother when picking up one at a friend's house. Uh, that, that comes in later on when you become like parents of teenagers. Oh, you know what? Why don't you go pick up your brother from practice this night? Let us stay home. It, it, I didn't realize becoming a parent, if you had training in logistics, 
you are way down the road in success if you have that kind of thing. Just getting people to and from things. I don't know how she does it because I'm half the time in a plane and she's taking care of getting people where they need to be in three different locations at the same time. I don't understand how that happens. Here's the last one. A spinning ceiling fan will not support the weight of a child on the swing while your wife is out having a girl's night out. <laughs> I'm not going to say that any of those were my pieces of wisdom, but that's what Board Panda has to tell us. There's no end to parenting advice out there, and if you Google enough of it, you'll come away with some well, interesting things, but none of it, I think, very good. There's a lot of books written about parenting every single year. I just decided to find out what the top couple were in 2023, and PositiveParentingSolutions.com gives us the top three books that they think you should read this year on parenting. Number one, here's the title, Thrivers, The Surprising Reason Why Some Kids Struggle While Other Kids Shine. That sounds promising. It's marketed with the following. It says, kids today are bigger and better achievers than ever before, but not uh, coincidentally, they aren't any happier. It just sounds like a downer to read to me. Number two, the second book they think you should read this year, and everybody will get ready to just simply roll your eyes as you can just feel what's coming next here. Social Justice Parenting. How to Raise Compassionate, Anti-Racist, Justice-Minded Kids in an Unjust World. Man, they threw the entire alphabet into that, that <laughs> subtitle. This book is about raising responsible kids by ensuring their self-sufficiency because, after all, the biggest changes in our society often begin at one step at a time at the hands of socially enlightened and educated children. Okay, not going to be reading that book this year. The last one I'll, I'll mention this morning, uh, I was kind of excited about the title because it seemed very promising and sort of an ex in enjoyable, and well, enjoyable is the wrong term, but, you know, it'd be a exciting read, it sounds like. The title is The Explosive Child. <laughs> I thought, this is going to be great. I mean, it's either going to be like kaboom or like poop stories the entire way through it. But I was, I was deceived because the subtitle gives it away. It says, a new approach for understanding and parenting easily. And then as you read the marketing on it, it says, it says that this is billed as a compassionate, thoughtful, and practical, well, I'm out already, as it addresses your response to a child's crying, screaming, swearing, hitting, etc. And it encourages you to, if you've, ever, if you've tried everything and nothing seems to work, then you should. And this is the most ironic part to me, given the title, Explosive, The Explosive Child. If you tried everything else and nothing seems to work, get your hands on this book. Maybe that's not the best advice that's out there. But look, you get the idea. There's an endless list of parenting advice. If you're expecting, uh, if you've ever been expecting a child, you'll get advice from random strangers that you meet in the grocery store. Uh, you'd never even solicit it, and they're going to give it to you anyway. Older parents and grandparents, I think rightly, and uh, also uh, helpfully, they're filled to the brim with advice. Uh, John Roseman's a parenting author, and uh, he, he, uh, he says, if you're struggling with what to figure out what to do in a certain situation, ask yourself, what would grandma do? And then do that thing. Now, that's pretty good advice, frankly. And a lot of that uh, is, is good stuff to be listening to from parents who've experienced it and grandparents as well. My sons have received the wisdom passed down through me from their grandfather. Uh, if they ever accidentally hurt themselves, you know, stubbed their toe in the, in the, you know, on something or they bonked their head on something, just doing something accidentally and, and sort of foolishly, I'll look at them with sincere earnestness in my eyes and say, well, don't do that. <laughs> well, that's my, what my dad used to say to me, and I assume that's what his dad said to him. So we just pass these, these things down generationally. And I'm sure your family has that kind of tidbits of, of uh, parenting advice. In fact, email me or text me your favorite little pieces of anecdotal 
uh, parenting advice that you've received throughout the years? Because this would be a fun way, I think, to start a class every week, is just to find out what it is that, uh, you know, in the, in the inside your home, the little pearls of wisdom that grandma's passed down through your parents to you and you've now passed down to your children. Things like, you know, don't do that when someone stubs their toe or, uh, hi, hi, uh, hi, silly, I'm dad, or, you know, things like that, right? All the dad jokes that are out there, they're out there for a reason. Well, look, early par- in our parenting life, my dad would also remind me of a piece of advice that I've come to really treasure. And I think it's a good way for us to kind of set ourselves out here as we begin our journey on talking about parenting, he would remind me, and again, this is my father talking about me and my sisters, I suppose, but his, his uh, very short advice when we're approaching parenthood was very short, and he would say, parenting ain't for sissies. Parenting ain't for sissies, and man, he is right. Parenting ain't for sissies. The task of parenting is not for the weak-willed or the weak-minded. The best parents are sort of like athletes. They're always training Uh, They've got to have themselves disciplined or else they're going to fall behind in the rest of the competition. Their parenting is an act of intentionality, which is honed through routine and habit. And if you've seen good parenting, at least on the outside, you've perhaps seen it as effortless and confident and effective, much like you've seen marathon runners or Olympic athletes. They look effortless when they're doing this thing. What you don't see behind all of that on the inside, you've missed years of saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and hoping that they'd have a different result. You haven't seen the myriad failures that have occurred behind closed doors, or at least the failures that uh, you, they hope that no one else would have seen them engage in the parenting. You, you've likely missed the gentle correction of a friend or maybe even the less gentle correction of a spouse. Not that that's happened in my household, at least towards me, maybe the other way around by accident. (laughs) But parenting really ain't for sissies. Parenting ain't for sissies. Those of us who are parents and those who are destined to be parents should at least take some comfort in that reality. This is hard business we're up against as parents. Parents, by definition, they ain't sissies. And I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to use the word sissies in 2023, but we're going to receive it from me anyway. Parents ain't sissies. They're, they're tough. There's a toughness and a fortitude that comes with parenting. It has to come with parenting, or you're not going to survive this task. So over the next few months together, we're going to look much closer at this concept of parenting. Of course, our task is actually a little bit more specific than the very broad category of what could be con- uh, constitute parenting advice or a study on parenting. What we want to be about in this class is to study what God's direction is for us as parents and in the process of parenting itself. So our study is much more focused than just what you might find in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble, if that still exists. Uh, it's much more concerned about what the scriptures tell us parenting is and ought to be. And that actually is a broad concept in and of itself, but no less important for us to be focused in upon. Let me start by saying what this study is not. Uh, First, our our study is not, if we're going to negatively define what we're about, this is not, as I mentioned, a class on self-help parenting. We're not looking to Dr. Spock or to Google or whatever the modern equivalent of all those things is for any of these top 10 books that are published on positiveparentingsolutions.com. If you want to take in tabloid-like advice on parenting, you're going to create uh, kids that are fit for the tabloids. That's that's all there is to that. Uh, and, And I would encourage you with kids, or if you're contemplating kids, or someday God is going to bless you with kids, don't turn to the tabloids for parenting advice. Go find people with gray hair and ask them, at the very least. If you, if you don't do that, then go to the scriptures and find out what uh, they have to say there. We're going to use a couple books from some trusted authors to guide our understanding of the topic of parenting. 
Their guidance, though, is rooted in the Word of God, which is where we ought to be taking all of our instructions. And so our, our instructions, our study is largely going to draw from the Word of God and not from the tabloids or from Google. Second, what our study is not, this is not a step-by-step guide to controlling behavior. That's, that's not what this is about at all. If you want a step-by-step guide, I'm sure there's plenty of them out there. It's not a survey of the best ways to change a diaper or get a kid to eat a certain kind of food or any food at all. It's not a, a guide on how to avoid wrecking on the interstate when you hear those first little tremors of projectile vomiting in the back seat. <laughs> That's not what this cl- class is about. If I have opinions on all those matters, as I'm sure none of you are surprised to learn. I've got an opinion on most of this stuff. And, uh, and I'm sure the people right beside you have some of those opinions as well. So go find people with no hair or gray hair and talk to them about it. They're going to give you their wisdom. And some of that is going to be helpful to you, but uh, it's, it's not the kind of, uh, we're not looking to, to, to gain sort of faddish and fickle kind of human wisdom here. We're looking to find things that matter and going to matter for the long term. We're, we're after what our Heavenly Father, the one who created the institution of the family, what he wants for us as parents. So we're, we're not about a self-study, a self-help guide, not a step-by-step guide. Third, this is also not comprehensive. It's not comprehensive in part because I don't think I can comprehend the entire idea of parenting in and of itself. There's so much to be gleaned, not just from the concept of parenting, but from what God says about parenting in our lives. It's hard for us to get that all into, even though I have several months to unpack this with you. It's hard to compress all of that in short 50-minute Sunday school lessons that we have. The the teacher in Ecclesiastes told us that of the writing of many books, there is no end. And just look on PositiveParentingSolutions.com. You can find many, many more books that are not worth reading on parenting. There's always going to be one more thing. So this is not, uh, uh, we're not going to be able to reach the bottom of the truth that God has outlined for us in parents and in scriptures in the course of this study. We're going to make a good dent in it, I hope. We're going to give a close examination, but you're going to have to be the student that applies these lessons into your life, to take your copy of the scriptures, to dive down deep into them, grab them with your spouse, and think about them more. Notice that we're together. This is why I wanted this as either a small group or in, at least in this classroom, <coughs> and why I don't favor this thing here, because we're supposed to live this Christian life in community. There's no lone wolf Christians that are out there. And so this is going to generate questions for you that I want you to come to me, to Jenny, who's got a lot more wisdom on this thing than I have, to other parents in this room that have tried and failed and tried and succeeded, and work with them, talk with them, learn from them. I've I've joked a couple times, and I'll joke one more time, but find the people with no hair and gray hair. They've been through this. They have no hair and gray hair for a reason. They've been through this already. They've had to struggle through this. They've thought through this. And frankly, God has convicted them of more than you and I know in our current state of life as parents. So don't let this be a comprehensive study. It's not going to be that. Go and live in the community that God has placed you in to be a better parent. That's why we have a church. Fourth, this is also not authoritative. And what I mean by that is I'm not authoritative. I'm not I'm not Dr. James Dobson, for those of you in the room who actually remember who that is. I'm not, not, not Ted Tripp, who's an author we're going to be studying here quite a bit in this, this class. I'm just a lawyer. I'm a dad, just like some of you dads here in this room. I'm pointing you to what I've learned in Scripture, and I want you to find that thing to be authoritative and not me. 
So that should bring us then to what this class is actually about. What are we, let's define this positively now that we've kind of excluded what we're not about in this class. To put it positively, I'm going to borrow from uh, that, that Puritan minister, Richard Baxter, who said of his preaching that he preaches as a dying man to dying men. Now, don't take that too literally in the course of parenting. There are times we feel like we are dying parents with other dying parents around us at the end of the day, right? But I may be a little further down the pilgrim path than some of you are, but uh, I'm no less a pilgrim. I'm just one of you walking through this life as a dad, trying to be faithful to the raising of my kids according to how God has called me to do. Uh, I'm hoping that we can share this together. We can bear the weight of Scripture together as it provides us our guidance as we become faithful parents as we head towards Celestial City. I know I'm borrowing from the study we just uh, completed, but there's a reason why I chose the pilgrim path on that, so it would be fresh in your mind. Second, uh, this is really a look at the heart. Now, here you thought you're coming to learn about parenting, and I've told you what we're not going to be studying. Now, it may even surprise you even further that we're going to narrow this down uh, deeper and say it's not almost about a, a study of parenting as it is a study in the condition of our hearts, our hearts, our, our own hearts, our children's hearts. Uh, you would be right to conclude that this is a class about taking a close look at the heart of a child. That's true. But uh, don't suppose that we're going to ignore the hearts of our, us as parents as well. We're all individual citizens living before a holy God, and we've got to address that hard thing as it applies to that one aspect of our life called parenting. Parenting, as we study the scripture and what it teaches us, is the accounting for the fallen heart out of an obedience to the call of the gospel. We're going to account for our fallen heart as we seek to be obedient towards the gospel. Third, I hope this to be an exercise in obedience. Uh, our, our creation mandate is to be fruitful and multiply, but that mandate does not end at the birth canal. That's just the beginning of becoming literally fruitful and multiplying ourselves. I joked earlier about our church's commitment to um, church growth, which starts in the nursery. I mean, that, that is truly what our plan for church growth is here, because we're creating the future generation of the church and that is, many, in many respects, what we're about in this class as well. Uh, as parents, we possess this delegated authority that is derived, that is given to us by God to shepherd, not just the physical manifestations, but also the, the, manifest, the, the fruitfulness that God has given to us, the, those individual kids that God has given. Our job is to shepherd them. It's a task that's less of, of training. In other words, uh, training what is our biology, right? You do this and expect that result. That's, that's not our goal so much as it is to, to raise them to be the progeny of our Heavenly Father, uh, who is uh, himself, uh, our job is to raise our children into the image of our elder brother of Jesus. Or to put this in a very succinct and singular phrase, our job is to disciple our children. So our goal, at least in part of this class, is to be one of obedience, an act of obedience, to try to figure out if we are to be fruitful and multiply on this earth, then how does that happen for us as citizens of a heavenly kingdom that is to come? So that's negatively defined, positively defined. I want to also start off this, and, and this is where it's helpful to have this recorded because I'm going to put some markers on the record here, some words of caution to everybody. I think everybody in this room is going to fall into one of these three categories here. So just bear with me through this uh, next section here, because I think this is important for us to remember these particular acts of caution. The first caution I'm going to give to you are those that come from very positive families, from families that 
Eh, they got warts, they have drama, but really, by societal standards, they're very functional. They're a whole family unit. Uh, don't come to this study. This is my warning to you. Don't come to this study with a know-it-all virus. Right? Don't, don't assume that you've got this all figured out. And before you think I'm pointing any fingers at you, I'm putting myself right in the middle of this category. Right? I came from a very good family. My parents were uh, strong Christian parents. Their marriage now is closing in on 60 years of faithfulness to each other. My grandparents and my great-grandparents lived their entire lives in faithfulness to one another, 60-plus years for each of their marriages as well. They have their faults, they, but they did raise godly children, and most of my extended family, praise God, is, is following Christ. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them are walking faithful with Jesus even today. But even a number of years ago, I had a brother confront me about my parenting. This is back when we lived in West Virginia, so there's nobody in this room that is getting the, the stink eye today. Uh, I had a, I'd, he had observed my, again, you guys are going to be very surprised at this, but my, my very gruff demeanor when reprimanding my sons. They were very young, and I was, I was short with them. I was angry with them. And he witnessed my, what I can only call now my immaturity, and clear evidence that my, that area of my life needed some specific sanctifying attention put, put onto it all. Um, and as you would guess, again, most of you know me fairly well, my instinct in response to this approach was to, well, be very defensive and to fight back. And as a lawyer, list out all the arguments as to why I was doing the right things, right? Uh, I argued in my self-defense that my children's behavior warranted that strong response. But this friend didn't budge. He, he kept his finger right on my chest, and he simply reminded me of what I will remind you of as well, that parenting is not exempt from the fruits of the Spirit, nor the commands of Christ. Christ is sovereign over all things, or he's sovereign over none of them. And that includes in our parenting as well. So the fruits of the Spirit apply to you as mom and dad as it does to you as an individual. It applies to us and the commands of Christ that he's given to us. They apply there in our parenting as well. So as you come to this study, if you fall in this category of coming from this good and positive home, praise God for that. That's a, a blessing of God's grace on your life, that you're, you're welcome to that in the beginning of your life. But don't let that come to you uh, without humility, that, uh, the humility that Christ has something for you to learn even in the pages of scriptures about yourself, about your children, and about your parenting. Second, the, the other categories, probably on the other side of that extreme, the, the second caution I'm going to give to you is those of you who come from broken homes, or maybe you come from some level of abuse or uh, abandonment. You've witnessed firsthand what not to do as a parent. Be careful that you don't press the eject button too soon. All right, I, I, there's going to be some tough times in this, this discussion. Uh, we're going to talk about discipline and what the Bible tells us about the physical discipline of our children. And that's going to come very uncomfortably close, perhaps, to some of you, uh, to some of the brokenness and physical pain that maybe you have experienced as a child yourself. But just, just stick with us, okay? Uh, everybody in this room is here as a broken man or a broken woman. We've all experienced some effect of the fall. Don't push back from the table when it gets tough. In fact, lean into that discussion a little bit more closely and come talk to us. If you don't want to talk to a hard-nosed guy like me, I've got a very sweet and kind wife who is very approachable. Talk to her. But, but stick with us through this whole thing. We're going to walk into these discussions with as much tenderness, well, at least as much tenderness as a lawyer can provide and muster during that, that kind of a discussion. But Christ's plan for parenting may not be what you've experienced in your growing up years, but his word is not voided by those who have rejected it in their parenting. So don't push back from that. Work to see the beauty in God's plan exercised correctly and then adopt that for yourself as well. And then there's probably this middle category to whom I'm going to issue a caution here as well. 
for the rest of you, you might be somewhere in between those two extremes of overly positive and overly negative. And somewhere in between you fall on that timeline. I just want to ask you to look for an opportunity to be a faithful to a fellow pilgrim. Again, I'm appealing to our study that we just came out of here. And you remember faithful and how, how helpful he was. Well, that was helpful, actually. Faithful was a different person in the story. And hopeful was also there. But this we're talking about faithful. Faithful came alongside a pilgrim at the right times to help him get through the process of, of a lot of these things. Be that person. Be a faithful to a fellow pilgrim. Your experience and understanding of Scripture, even if you feel way away from being anything called an expert on here, or even if you haven't quite achieved that, that gray hair or bald head yet, it's okay. Your life experience, your understanding of the Scriptures is going to be an encouragement to the overly confident and the woefully insecure parent that are sitting in the room today. This is where I go back to what I said earlier. We live in a community. God has not sent us out as lone wolf Christians. We are meant to be together in a body of Christ for a reason. We come to the church not simply to sing cool songs led by a guy who can play the guitar pretty good. We have a better pianist, frankly. (laughs) But we come to this church to worship together, corporately, with one another. And that includes walking throughout all of life. We, we, We structure our entire church body that way. We have deacons and elders that are meant to care for the flock, the physical needs and the spiritual needs of the body. We're meant to do this together. So look, don't be afraid that you're on one of these extremes and you don't belong. Don't be afraid that you're in the middle here and don't somehow belong. All of you belong. We're all part of one body. Some of you happen to be an armpit. That's okay. (laughs) If you didn't have an armpit in the body, you would die. We have to have that. Some of you are the hair. Some of us are not. We all need those parts of the body. And don't shy away from that. But instead, lean into that responsibility and be with one another. Our society in America today does not like this concept of being vulnerable, of welcoming these conversations, of leaning into them. We kind of want to go, especially in the suburbs of Dallas. Are you kidding? We want to go and do it ourselves, and maybe we'll Google something to figure out how to do something as a parent because we don't want to look stupid asking that question to somebody with gray hair or no hair. You're not going to look stupid. I guarantee you, Jeff has asked those questions. Lee has asked those questions. I have asked those questions. Russ has asked the same questions. Some of us didn't have Google to ask them to. Lean into the people and experience you have in this room. Become a better parent just because... God has put you inside this community. All right, those are the cautions that are out of the way. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6 so that we can get some credit for actually looking at the Bible as we begin our study on uh, what it means to be a biblical parent this year. Deuteronomy 6 is where we're going to turn to for the remainder of our time together. Let's see what Scripture tells us, at least by parenting. And I suspect we're going to come back to Deuteronomy 6 a lot. I know that in my parenting, this has been a constant kind of buzz in the back of my head as a parent to remind me of my responsibilities here. And if you know your history at this section of Deuteronomy, of the Bible in Deuteronomy, it comes after God has freed his people from Egypt. You remember all the plagues. You remember how they were exiled into Egypt in the first place. But now they're, uh, they're coming out of Egypt. They, uh, they, they've left the chariots of Egypt in the Red Sea behind them. They've come across into the desert. They're now encamped out at Mount Sinai. They've seen the, the fire and the thunder and the rain on top of Mount Sinai. They've seen the lightning come. They've seen Moses come down with his face shining, having encountered uh, God right there. They've seen him carrying two tablets. 
that have Ten Commandments on them. So we, Moses has announced the law of God to the people of Israel. Now, in response, the people of Israel were not too smart. They, they built this little calf image thing, and that didn't go too well for them. But still, Moses goes on a lengthy section of Deuteronomy here, announcing the law of God to the people of God. In fact, this passage that we're concerned with is in its early exposition of Moses' exposition of God's law. He's teaching what God commands of the people of Israel, both in a literal sense as well as in a practical sense, but most especially in that literal sense. Remember, these were God's covenanted people that I have covenanted with you, you obey my law, you receive a reward in the land that I've promised you. This is the covenant that he had made. Now, it's also going to be replaced by the new covenant. Praise God for that, because that's an even better thing. That's for another study. If you want to have that kind of connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I welcome you to the the, the door next door, the class next door, because they're going to study a little bit more about that. But we get to Deuteronomy 6, and verse 6, we read these words. "And, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's our text. Now, there's a lot packed into just those two verses here, and I want to break them down into 12 different parts. And we're going to literally go through them word or phrase by phrase at a time. We're breaking them down into 12 different things that are just going to teach us about our correlation of God's law in our responsibility as parents. Number one, these words. What do we mean? What does God mean? What is Moses saying here by these words? What, what words? Well, we're specifically referring back to the law of God, and specifically here, the, the immediate chapter five is the Ten Commandments. So we're talking about the summary of God's law for your life, and as Moses begins to expand upon these, the summary of God's law for the life of the nation of Israel, uh, he's saying these words, so the words above the line that says these words, that's what he's referring to, God's law here. That which leads to righteousness and godliness, God lists at the beginning of our understanding of parenting. He points us back as parents, hey, this is your job, go back and look at these words. Now, we have the copy of these words in our own tongue today. We have it in the scriptures. They're provided to us. And what God is reminding us, I think, in Deuteronomy 6 here is that before all other human reason, all other human understanding, these words are to be at the forefront of all that we do and understand, especially all that we do and understand as parents. What God commands, let us remember so to do as parents. These words are central to all we do as parents. The next phrase is, I command you. Now, remember, these words are not in isolation. They are not crafted by human hands or assembled as sort of aphorisms from, derived from ancient philosophers. These words are commands. Uh, they are commands of the personal I am. Yahweh is speaking, and his words are authoritative. Whereas I am not authoritative in this class, and Ted Tripp and James Dobson are not authoritative, God's words are authoritative in our lives. The God that created the universe, he speaks and he's issuing a direction to another. And specifically, that another is you. It's me. It's all of us in this room. God is commanding us and directing us that, uh, that, that we, we listen to these words. He is issuing a command to us. His word is not spoken purposelessly into the void that He would hope someone would actually hear it at some point, weigh its value, and maybe adopt some of it. No. The God of the universe commands you with his words. 
And by right as creator, he may command whom he pleases. And as it concerns the parenting of your child, the God of all that is, all that is and all that will be created has commanded you. You ignore his commands to your own peril. <clears throat> the third phrase, it's shall be on your heart. Not only has the infinite God commanded you with words, but these words are without option to be on your heart. That's a tremendous phrase if you boil down to it. He, he speaks again here with mandatory language. You know, the, the permissive is may, the mandatory is shall. If you look in, okay, I'm going to be the lawyer for a second. If you look in statutes and you find the words may, that means you, you can do it, but you have the option of not doing it and you won't be penalized if you don't do it. But if it has the words shall, you must do that thing or you will be penalized for it. Shall is mandatory language for us. It's not an option for us. He speaks with mandate so that in our fallen nature, we might not sneak out of our responsibility or confuse it for something else. We are commanded by a holy God to do something. No, we are required to, pl to place these words at the very center of our being, to place them in our heart. We are left with no option but to so absorb God's word that if we were to be cut straight in half and able to see into our very soul, his commands would be engraved on every fiber of our being as humans, but also as parents. These words are to be on your heart. And what are you supposed to do with those words? Well, you're supposed to teach them. You shall teach them. These commands are not to terminate upon you. You're not the end of that wire. They're supposed to be communicated to others. And notice again that this is not optional language. You are commanded by the holy God of the universe to teach these words to your children. You shall teach them. God codifies his commands with the imperative, you shall. That which is on your heart, that, that word of God that is supposed to be deeply imbibed into your very fiber of your being... Uh, that shall be communicated to others. And not only are you to, commanded to communicate, but you're commanded to teach. That is, you're to show or explain to someone else how to do or not to do something. That's teaching. Your job as a parent, this is not Jeremy speaking, your job from God is to teach them, your kids, these words that are deeply imbued, imbued in your heart. There's no escaping the duty to have the knowledge of the law of God that's a responsibility in and of itself, to have this knowledge. But you're also supposed to transmit that knowledge to someone else. So here we are. We, we've been commanded by a holy God to have these words, to have them on our heart, and then to teach them to other people. But there's also a how involved with this as we go throughout the rest of this passage, right? That's the, the fifth element of this, uh, this part of the scripture. It says we're to teach them diligently diligently our duty of teaching the word of god that is on our heart is to be done with care and conscientiousness now i know that's a, a an easy phrase because i googled it and i found out what the definition of diligently means and it says to do something with care and conscientiousness god is wanting us to do something diligently as parents here it, it's orderly it's not reckless it's active not passive it's intentional not accidental Th these are carefully done things for us. We, we've done it with a conscientiousness. We, we didn't just simply coast through our parenting. We're supposed to teach our children diligently. Our duty as parents is to take that which we have been commanded, the law of God, and then purposely communicate that to another person. And who is that other person? We've already said it. It's the, the pronoun, the antecedent has been around already. But in this phrase, it's number six, to your children. 
Now, then don't miss the your in there, right? It may be that we are able to communicate with purpose and, and intentionality the law of God to others. In fact, we're commanded to do that as well. We're supposed to make disciples of all nations, right? That's part of our divine mandate as, as, uh, as little Christians. But we're required above all of those responsibilities to teach these commands to our own children. What a great opportunity that is. What a horrid responsibility it is. What a blessed privilege it is to be free to teach our own children. Maybe you'll have the chance to teach in VBS. That's a simple plug for those that are inclined to go to VBS at some point this coming summer. Maybe you'll teach a Sunday school class on that back wall over there to help these kids learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But we're required above all those good things. We're required to teach these commands to our children. This is not an optional practice. Uh, perhaps we'll have, uh, or I'm sorry, at its most basic, biblical parenting is obeying God's command to teach the law of God to the children that God has blessed you with. There's no getting around this. I got to also tell you that this teaching is not done in silence. Look at the next part of the phrase there. It says, shall talk of them. God's command, God commands that we teach the word of God with our words. We, we cannot hope that they will, our, our children will discern the law of God by some sort of pantomime or, or through some osmosis just by being inside the house of Christian parents uh, or that someone else is going to serve as a better or good example or as good of an example. No, Christian parent, you are commanded by God to talk of them, to articulate with words from your own mouth. You actually have to form letters and phrases with your mouth and speak these things to your children. Now understand that what's missing in this passage, there is no requirement to have any sort of eloquence. Let's remember who's actually saying this. Who is the guy that's saying this? The guy who said, I've got a terrible tongue, send my brother to go talk to Pharaoh. I can't talk good. Moses is saying, you go talk to your kids. There's no eloquence requirement in this. There's no advanced degree requirement. You don't have to go to any sort of real or imaginary daddy school. There's no master's degree that's required of you. You have been destined to be your children's parents. And because God designs only that those who are given children absorb the law of God to their very core and teach them to their children with audible words, from your mouth to their ears, you are fully equipped to be able to do that where you are right now and into the future. This is not optional. Rather, the creator of the universe. Can you comprehend that for a second? The God who spoke the universe into existence has commanded you to talk to your children about the law of God that is supposed to be on your heart. That's a tremendous privilege. When should you talk about the law of God? Well, we're given, that, uh, we're given four different instances of the when, when to fully do that. And if you fully consider these next four sections, it helps define for all of us, and especially us as parents and as a family, what the orbit of our life ought to look like. For the first one is when you, when you sit in your house, so as you relax in the comfort of and the safety of your home, when the day's labor is concluded, when you're removed from the eyes of a watching world and the cares of the world that's around you, your job in that moment of relaxing inside of your own home is to teach your children. God has called you in your home 
to teach your children these commands, the, the, this, this law that's deeply written on your heart. So the other one is when you walk by the way. So as you journey from one place to the other, as you hike, as you take a walk, if you drive to a store, if you use any mode of transport to get from point A to point B, you're basically walking by the way. Seize that opportunity to teach the law of God that is written on your heart to the children of God that he has given to you. Uh, you probably know Jonathan is a, is a runner. He, I started him running some, some years ago. And, and when he was learning how to run, we had a lot of great conversations on the trail. And we'd run three, four, five miles together, and he'd ask these incredibly deep conversations. There's something about boys being beside someone that opens them up to a question. If you sit face-to-face, it's not as much. Beside each other, it's, it's incredible. And I love those conversations. They've largely gone by the wayside because I can't talk anymore when we're running. <laughs> he, he, he only runs with me now on his recovery run days. So I'm sucking wind, and he's got a thousand and one more questions that I can barely get out in like two-word bursts at a time. But these are joyful opportunities that we have when I'm literally walking by the way, or barely running by the way, uh, with my son. I wouldn't trade those for anything. Joshua and I, we, we play catch together. And that we're walking by the way. And and we're talking about the various things that are going on in his life. Joseph and and Judah, we're going to have our things too. We we have little things here and there. But whatever it is, seize the opportunity to teach the law of God that's written on your heart to the children that God has given to you. The next section, where are you supposed to be? When you lie down. Well, before your head hits the pillow at night or your children lay their head on their pillow, instruct them in the law of God. Uh, teach them through story times. Teach them through stories at story time. Uh, fill their dreams with the wisdom of the law of God. Cause them to wake with the memory of the last thing on their minds being that which the psalmist tells us is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Put that into their minds when they lie down. And when you lie down, think of them also and pray for them. These are the opportunities we have when you when you uh, sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down in the last one. The only thing that's left, when you rise, when you get up in the morning, as you start the day, begin as you ended by teaching your children the law of God over breakfast. Yeah, before you've had your coffee, have that opportunity to teach the children, your children, the law of God. Look, this list of times and places, they do more than just encourage us to find these little bits and snatches of time, these little corners of our life that are not currently occupied with, with work and bills and all the other things that require, are required of us, school and education. No, God is not after the, the bits and snatches, the corners of pockets of your time. God is after something much more with this. Uh, I, I think it does at least, at least all those things. Yeah, if you have these corners of your life, grab them. Don't miss those opportunities because those are unique times for us to be able to have interesting conversations. But it orients all of our life. Moses, I think, is trying to communicate to remind the Israelites here that our parenting is purposeful and it is all-encompassing. All of our life is designed, whether we are walking by the way, whether we are sitting in our home, going to bed at night or waking up in the morning, that, that, that covers the entire day for us. We're, we're, we don't get a day off from parenting, much as some of us would like to have that. We ought to go to bed as parents exhausted from our life, not just simply because we've chased a little one around the, the house again, but because we've poured ourselves out into those kids every single day. So if you're tired this morning for being a parent, praise God, you've done it right. This is the good thing for us. The duty is too dear, the responsibility is too important to just simply float by. Go to bed exhausted that you have covered all of your life 
in investing into these children that God has given to you. He's given you the gift of being a parent so that you may use the whole of your daily routine to disciple your children. And as we view this discipline of our children as, it, as at least one of our primary duties as a human being, then we're going to make choices in all aspects of our life that better provide the opportunity to talk to our children and to teach them diligently about the law of God. That's what I mean by defining the orbit of our lives. If we view this as our responsibility to teach diligently our children about the law of God, then we're going to make careful decisions on all aspects of our lives. We're not going to just simply float through our life and hope that maybe the kids turn out okay. No, we're going to decide to go on this vacation and not that vacation because this one's going to give us an opportunity to teach them about the law of God, and this one won't. We're going to decide to have this activity and not that activity because this one will keep us from abandoning certain parts of being a parent or family life or church life or whatever it might be, help us to understand the law of God, and this one will get in the way of it all. All of this understanding, if we adopt this mentality that all these aspects, the daily routines of our lives are simply as important to teaching or providing the opportunity to teach the law of God to our children, we're going to then make wise decisions about how we do that in all of our lives. So begin now to adopt this orientation in your life. There's a row of not yet parents that I pray one day will be filling more church pews here with more kids. Now is the time to begin thinking about that. I'm glad you guys are here. Because this is how we begin to orbit our lives, order our lives for our kids. We've developed that routine right now. I know some of your parents. They've developed that in you. And now you have the opportunity to transmit that to the next generation. That's why you're even here. This is evidence of God's faithfulness sitting right here. This is wonderful for us. Seize the opportunity to fill, fulfill the command of God to teach diligently the law of God to our kids. But why do we do that? Why, what's our motivation? Well, look down further in Deuteronomy, to verse 20. Here's where Moses begins to sort of unpack the reward that comes from being diligent teachers of our family. He says, when your son asks you in time to come, and he will ask you in time to come, they have a thousand questions, and the question you don't expect will be the one that comes to you. So when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules the Lord your God has commanded you? Or, or maybe our kids would say, why do you take that cup of wine? Why do you take that cup of bread? These are the things that they're seeing, they're watching you do. And they're going to ask you these questions. When, God, when they do that, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all of his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in, uh, bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And now here's the payoff for why we teach them diligently. Why do we do this? And it will be righteousness for us, son, if we are careful to do all the com this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. I love that, this is, that Moses puts this in a conversation between a father and a son. And I, I'm biased because I have only sons. But I love the fact that this is a conversation before, it's as if you can hear this dad saying at some point, son, this is why I do this, so that it will be righteousness for us. If we're careful in our obedience, the goal of parenting is not that we will have well-groomed, well-behaved children who answer yes, ma'am, and no, sir, when an adult enters the room and asks them a question. 
The goal of parenting is not that kind of, that's a great byproduct, by the way, but that's not our goal as parents that are concerned with what the Bible tells us to. The Christian parent is less concerned with the socially enlightened and educated children that PositiveParentingSolutions.com tells us about. Parenting according to what God has defined is above all concerned with righteousness. With your righteousness, that's why the law of God has to be on your heart, but also with the righteousness of your child. That's why you are to teach those things diligently to them. The goal of the Christian parent is to be concerned above all other things with righteousness. That then is what we hope to pursue as we look to understanding our role as parents in this course. Uh, we're going to use a book called Shepherding the Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And I'm going to tell you up front, I don't agree with everything that Ted has to say. And he's certainly not God. He's not even Peter or Paul. Uh, he's just another guy, another dad that, that derives some great principles out of, out of the scriptures. There are certain things that I think are very, very wise that he provides to us. There are some things that I, I, I'm going to raise a question about at a time or two. But here is where he's very helpful. He, he, he summarizes the task of parenting as the Bible directs in this way, towards the beginning of his book. He says this, the parenting task is multifaceted. It involves being a kind authority, shepherding your children to understand themselves in God's world, and keeping the gospel in clear view so your children can internalize the good news and someday live in mutuality with you as people under God. That's pretty cool. That our job as parents is to help them understand how they live before God in this world, keep the gospel in front of them so they understand their need for a Savior, so that one day, he says, they would live in mutuality with you as people of God. Do you understand what he's saying? So that your children would be your brother and your sister in Jesus Christ. That's mind-warping. And also tremendously wonderful. Our job is to raise children to become our brothers and sisters. Parenting ain't for sissies. But then again, then again, God has not called you to be a sissy. So this works out pretty nicely. I recall when the weight of parenting really began to sink in for me. It was, uh, in, some of you have had this experience, I'm, I'm certain as well. They're going over the paperwork with us as we're about to discharge from the hospital after Jonathan's uh, birth. And we had anticipated his birth with all, you know, all the typical excitement of putting the nursery together and thinking through names and what brand of diaper you're going to use and you know all the th what diaper genie or not genie you're going to use. Don't get a diaper genie. They all stink, literally. <laughs> um, you know, all the things that new parents do. You know, the, the car carrier and the Lamaze or whatever they call the parenting, birthing class things and all the things that new parents do. And then that we come to the discharge instructions. You know, after we've gone through this highly emotional birthing process, I, I don't mind telling you that for all four of my children, and I, a guy who does not cry very often, wept like a little girl stood up at the junior high dance. I mean, just <laughs> absolutely broken in half. I called my mother, who was unfortunately not able to be with us during that time, and she was worried that something had gone wrong. I was crying so hard. So that entire, you know, all that emotion is, is over with. All We looked so forward to holding this little one in our arms. And then the discharge instructions come by. And you remember these discharge instructions? Hey, don't do this or he could die. 
Don't do this or he could die. Don't do this or he will definitely die. And all of a sudden, that realization that this child was entirely dependent upon us as parents. And in, in terms of human authority, they would rightly hold me accountable for the physical well-being of my child. They should. And that weight was heavily upon me. But how much more will the God that created my son hold me accountable for how I parent him to be my future brother in Christ? If the human authorities are going to hold me accountable for the physical well-being of my children, the God who created this universe, and in fact who knit that child together inside of his mother's womb, how much more so will that God hold me accountable for what I am doing as a parent? Now that way could paralyze you. Don't, don't let that. Instead, you should recall that you did not become a parent any more accidentally than that child became your child. Before time began, God determined that you would be a parent and that the child you hold in your arms or now start to look up to, that child was determined to be yours. There was no accident here. This is not a random zygote and egg getting together. This was divinely determined before any of us were a spark in anyone else's eyes. This was the God of the universe determining that you were going to be a parent. And if, if God has determined that you are going to be a parent, and not only that you're going to be a parent, but you're going to be a parent to that child, well, friends, I don't know how to give you more confidence that the God of the universe thinks that that child is supposed to be your child. That ought to give you tremendous confidence. Parenting ain't for sissies because we're not called to be sissies. We're called to be bold followers, confident in our divine Savior's guidance. So with that knowledge, with that confidence I hope it brings, let's continue to commit ourselves to learning how to parent in this way. Let me pray for you and we'll be dismissed. Thanks, Father, for this morning. Thanks for getting me here and letting planes run on time. Oh, God, we're so grateful for the scriptures that you've put in front of us that we don't have to have... Uh, sort of a, uh, a hunch at what we're supposed to do as parents, but instead you have given us very clear guidance, as we have in all of our life, to be able to follow you, to do what pleases you, to, to understand how our parenting is to please you. Uh, and so, Father, would you give us wisdom as we unpack these uh, scriptures? Help me to understand how best to organize our next few weeks together so that uh, those in this room would come away encouraged, challenged, yes, but also encouraged to be the parents that you've called them to be. Thank you for giving us good attendance, and we pray, God, that each week uh, we would have uh, the opportunity to, to join one another because together is how we do this. Uh, you've not sent us out here alone and abandoned us. You've even given us a, a helper through the Holy Spirit to be with us even in our times of loneliness. But there's something special that happens when two or three are gathered together. And so let us look to one another as uh, weak pilgrims along a path that is treacherous and dangerous. But together, uh, through your help and guidance, we can come to the end solution, the, the, the final goal that you have provided to us as parents. And so, Father, let us be an encouragement one to another as we walk along this path. We thank you for it. Thanks for the challenge that is parenthood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.